Good morning. It's Thanksgiving weekend. I'm so glad that you've come. We have so much to be grateful for. Please join us as we sing together, Count Your Blessings. worship this morning is found in Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. 
Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. If you are able, I invite you to stand to sing with us. Blessed be your name. Thank you for your goodness and for your blessing over us. Thank you for your great love and care. Thank you for your sacrifice so that we might have freedom in life. Forgive us when we don't thank you enough for who you are, for all you do, and for all you've given. Help us to set our eyes and our hearts on you. Renew our spirits. Fill us with your joy and peace. We love you and need you this day and every day. We give you praise and thanks. 
for you alone are worthy. Amen.
God of all creation, thank you for the wonderful things you have made. Thank you for the universe full of stars and planets. Thank you for our world full of life. Thank you for making each one of us. Thank you for loving each one of us. Take these gifts we now offer back to you. May they be used to the glory of your name. We offer you ourselves and all the gifts you have blessed us with. Take us and use us to share your love with the world. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning is found in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verses 1 to 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Thank you, worship team. Good morning. It's good to see everyone here. We're excited um, to, uh, to meet in church and to hear and to worship. Um, we're going to look at the announcements and, and prayer requests here right away. Uh, Jeff has an announce, a couple of announcements, and then so does Christine. Good morning. I have two unrelated announcements. The first one is that this coming week on Thursday, you may notice a lot of activity at the church. The church is going to get used for a regional high school choir uh, rehearsal, the Central Manitoba Choral Association. So, so there's going to be students here, probably somewhere between 60 and 90 students practicing here, grade 11 and 12 students, uh, and, then, and then a similar size group of uh, students practicing at the, at the high school. Uh, there, there is a public concert at 4 o'clock at the high school. Please come. You're welcome to do that. Uh, but if you see action at the church on Thursday this week, uh, that's what it is. They'll be here right from about 7 in the morning until uh, late in the evening. The church will be, uh, will be, the whole building will be used for that choir rehearsal. So just a heads up there. The, the second thing, uh, looking down your calendars, looking further down your calendars, on November 28th, the board has called, our, our church board has called our fall meeting of the congregation. So there's uh, the, usual, the usual round of, uh, of, of things that will happen at that meeting, positions to fill. I want to draw special attention to the roles that are available on our church's board of directors. Um, so that includes uh, the Christian education position. Bethany's been doing a great job recently of, of both getting the word out about that and also getting the ball rolling so that whoever whoever takes that job on doesn't need to kind of invent something from scratch that there's there's stuff going on that that is already moving um, the music and worship chair which Bethany also holds right now is uh, is going to be open as well so for those of you who have interest and passion and opinion in the public worship of the church that's the committee that sort of steers steers that end of things uh, and also the moderator's role, the role that I have right now, uh, will be open in the fall. I'm going to be moving out of uh, church governance roles. Um, so we're, we're looking forward 
for people to fill, that's, that's a bunch of the roles in our church. There's also a member at large role, which Lyndon currently has. Uh, he's willing to stay on in that, but there, so that one is coming up as well. So there's, there's a bunch of, you know, the, the direction that we face as a congregation is always tweaking. And uh, as we come to the, a number of, of roles in our leadership team changing, the opportunity to tweak direction is really there. So if, um, we encourage you to talk amongst yourselves uh, about who might be a good person in each of those roles. Consider it prayerfully for yourself uh, and also consider, consider it for your friends and others. Right now, our church board has no senior citizens at all on it, and that's an important part of our congregation that is, is not represented on the board, and it would be wonderful to, um, to have some seniors on the board. Uh, I think our board going forward will be more and more likely to be made up uh, of, of young adults, people 35 and under, let's say. Uh, and so there's, there's opportunity there if you've never been in a church leadership role before to give something a try and, and start off and, and kind of help take our congregation in a good, new, and spirit-led uh, direction. So the meeting that we will be d making these decisions on is, the, is Tuesday, the 28th of November. Uh, it's about seven, just over seven weeks from now. Um, so this is a lot of notice, but because there are several uh, board of director roles kind of waiting to be filled, uh, we want to get out, get out the word well in advance so that you can talk about it. Don't be, uh, people occasionally are reluctant to talk, you know, to, to, to gossip, let's say. Don't be afraid of that uh, at all. You, you, you can and should be talking about the, the leadership of our church amongst yourselves, in your families, in your social groups, in your, just in the chit-chat, in the community. Uh, please do that and, and please consider how, how you and others you know might be involved in the leadership of our church. So November the 1st, Kid, Kids Connect is starting. So we're really excited about that. And we're really happy that most of the positions are filling up, but we really, really need a part-time games person. You ask what is a part-time games person? Well, I have somebody to do it every other week, but I need to fill in the times in between. So if you would like to help out with, with helping with games, even if it's only once a month, we will take you. So if you don't want to commit to a whole lot and can commit to even just part-time, just please talk to me, and we would love for you to partake. And it's very, very fun. There's, it's, yeah, you, if, if, if you even want to just check it out, just come, and it's a lot of fun on Wednesday night. So that's November the 1st, and please talk to me. If you have even just a little hint of a stirring, maybe I should do this, then I think, yeah, you should talk to me. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we'll grab your bulletins. Um, just take a look at some of the announcements. Jeff touched on the, the first one, so the um, Choral Association concert. Um, October 22nd and 29th, Wayne Friesen will be sharing again here at the church. Uh, depression, anxiety, and care. And uh, uh, really looking forward to hearing what he has to say. October 22nd, Thanksgiving supper at the church. Uh, there will be more details coming here probably pretty quick, but uh, we're looking forward to, to that. Mums and Tots will be starting uh, October 26th, and they're planning on going the second and fourth Thursdays of the month. And October 29th, 2.30, is the senior celebration at uh, Austin Evangelical. Um, so if, uh, 
that involves you, then take note of that and, and uh, take advantage of that opportunity to gather together and spend some time. Are there any other announcements that got missed? Okay, we'll uh, just carry on then. Um, interested in child dedication or membership, talk to Russell. Sign up sheet for small groups on the back. If you're not a part of a small group and you want to be, sign up. Um, if you're interested in sharing on a Sunday morning, talk to Russell. Um, Kids Connect, Christine touched on. Still looking for two children's church teachers for ages three to six. So if, if you are interested in helping out with the children's ministry in any way of the church, talk to Bethany. Um, there's some contact information for Steve and Cassandra, so uh, take note of that. That's it for as far as announcements. The only other thing I want to highlight is after the service, like every week, there'll be uh, deacons um, up at the front of the church. If you have any need of prayer or anything that you want to talk about, share, take advantage of that. Um, but it's not just Sunday after the service. We're available as often as, as we're needed. So the numbers are on the front of the bulletin. Um, take uh, don't, be, don't feel afraid to take advantage of that. Um, so we're going to look at our prayer. Uh, so we want to pray for Wab Canoe, our premier, and everybody that has been elected um, for the first time or returning into provincial government. We want to pray that they are spirit-led. Um, we want to uh, remember to pray, continue to pray for Shannon's recovery. And Russell's going to share a little bit about uh, about that when he comes up, but we want to remember to keep her in our prayers. We want to remember the Swatsky and the Taves families as they both lost family members um, this last week. So we want to just continue to pray for, for uh, encouragement and for peace um, and all that goes along with losing someone that's close to you. So we'll just uh, take a moment. We'll uh, go into prayer and uh, we're... Just so very thankful that we can come to God with the things that are heavy on our hearts, and we can come to God with the things that are light on our hearts as well. So let's let's just pray. God, we want to thank you for the healing that is um, that Shannon is experiencing right now. We just pray for continued healing and strength. God, we want to pray for our our um, government officials, whether they're provincial or federal or um, municipal. God, we, we just pray that you would stir in their hearts to, to uh, lead in a way that is honorable and true. And we want to pray for those that are, that are not well, that are um, sick for whatever, whatever is ailing them. God, we just pray that you would just bring comfort and joy. We pray that you would bring peace. And we pray, Lord, that there would, uh, in the midst of whatever people are dealing with, uh, that you would bring um, just some just a real touch from you, God. We pray that you would just touch their hearts and, and encourage them. Lord, we want to pray for those that have lost loved ones. Think of uh, the Swatsky family and the Taves family. And, and so we just pray, Lord, that you would uh, encourage and strengthen. God, we thank you for uh, lives well lived. And we just pray, Lord, that you would continue to encourage those that are left behind. And God, as we go into the service and Russell shares on uh, revelations, we just pray that your word would drive into our hearts, that it would speak to us, that it would encourage us, that it would challenge us. 
Uh, most of all, God, that we would hear from you this morning. Amen. So Children's Church, these kids can be dismissed, and we will call Russell up. Good morning. I'd like to say thank you for praying for me, praying for Shannon, praying for the family over the past week. Uh, if you didn't know, then we got, uh, Shannon has been waiting to get her gallbladder out now for a number of months. She hasn't been able to eat anything that I would consider truly tasty without getting a gallbladder attack for the last half year or so. And so uh, we got a phone call on Monday uh, around, I want to say 10 o'clock, something like that. Can you come in tomorrow first thing at 6.30? So that involved a lot of restructuring and organizing the day, but at the same time, we were in there, we drove through that wonderful storm that some of you might have been awake for on Tuesday, and uh, she got it out, and we had pizza three days ago, and it was like you were almost expecting there to be tears in her eyes. It was wonderful. But she is in that period of time where you were feeling good enough that you might overdo it from time to time, so she'll probably be here next Sunday, but now she needs a nap. So... <laughs> We want to continue to pray for Shannon. I thank you so much for praying for her so much uh, already. And it is absolutely wonderful that the surgery could happen, particularly because next Sunday is, and I didn't tell you this, next Sunday is her birthday. And so I'm thinking either steak or something like that. It's going to be happy birthday, Shannon. So thank you for praying. But today, as we have been for the last couple uh, times that I've preached, we're continuing on with preaching a sermon on things that are recommended by people I've talked to. I've talked to people from our congregation, people from town, people from other countries even, and I asked them all the same question. If you could have a sermon preached on any topic, what would you want it preached on? Today comes from somebody that used to be in our congregation but since moved away. And uh, what she said was, if I could hear a sermon on anything, I would want it on Revelation because I like that book. But, and here is the question that we are going to be having our sermon about, Revelation, what's going on there? That was her question. Revelation, what's going on there? And so, we're going to try to answer that. It's a big question, but I think that we can do a little bit of justice. Because if you are going to be trying to answer that question, you need to start with a central passage that everything kind of ties into. And there is no better one that you could find than Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 4, if you have your Bibles on you. Revelation 21, verses 1 to 4. And we're going to go through that for a little bit now. And that passage begins... It's pretty easy to find. It's probably the second to last page in your Bible. But Revelation 21, 1 to 4 begins, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared or passed away, depending upon your translation. That's actually a better translation, and passed away. And the sea was also gone. Let's look at that one first. And I saw the new heaven and the new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had passed away. Whenever you hear that kind of thing, particularly in the New Testament, that there is something new in the place, for the old has passed on, 
It is using resurrection language. And that is very much so what's going on here. Uh, the new heaven and the new earth, it's not that they are a replacement for the old. The new heaven and the new earth, it's not like the old is completely dead and gone. The new heaven and the new earth are the old, but the old clothed immortal. They are like how they should be and yet are something even greater still. We know that that is resurrection language right there because for Greek reasons, those are the same words that are getting used. But there's a lot of echoes here that we get in the story of creation, in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. There's a lot of echoes all throughout this passage to the creation story where things are as they should be, as they were made to be, but now are somehow even better still. They are now somehow even greater. They are as they should be and then some. When we think of the story of when Jesus is resurrected in the end of the Gospels, that is what comes into our mind here. And that's how we know that it is still that old heaven and the old earth, but now clothed immortal, now made right. And we see in Jesus Christ what that looks like. And we know that it isn't just a new body and you do away with all the old. After all, what does Simon say? I won't believe that Jesus has risen again until I can put my fingers in the holes of his hands and the wound in his side. And then he does that. The holes in Jesus's hands are there and the wound in his side is there. And so when we think of the new heaven and the new earth that is to come, it is still the old. It has the wounds of the old, but at the same time, it is clothed immortal, to borrow a term from Paul. It's hard to wrap our minds around, but at the same time, if we don't fully understand, that's okay too, because the day will come, my brothers and sisters, when we will experience it ourselves, and it will be wonderful. And the sea was also gone. Here again, we get echoes of the creation story. This is something that we sometimes kind of wonder what is talking about. Why would the sea be gone in the time to come after the second coming? And then you have to remember that this passage is very much so written for people in the Mediterranean in the first century. And the sea is a terrifying thing to them. The sea is something that you have to put up with because that's where food is. That is where your trade is. That's where wealth comes from. But at the same time, it changes on a whim. At the same time, storms have come that have taken family members from everybody that is alive. It is a terrifying thing, but a necessity. It is chaos embodied. And that's something to keep in mind when you read the story of creation as well, that the sea is this underpinning of chaos itself. Because think about what happens in Genesis 1 with just a word from God and the seas are separated as if they are absolutely nothing. They do God's command as we see in the story of the flood. The seas for the cultures around them are often 
thought of as gods themselves. Think of the Romans with Neptune or the Greeks with Poseidon or Tiamat with the Babylonians. They are thought of in this reverential way. But when God comes into the picture, they are controlled, they are tossed aside like it is absolutely nothing, like it is only a word, for this is the power of our God. And here we see that in the end, chaos itself is defeated. Chaos itself is nothing, for that will be the world when our God sits on his throne. And the passage goes on, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a beautiful bride prepared for her husband. And that is a wonderful passage for all of us right now. Whenever the Bible talks about Jerusalem, it talks about it sometimes as a capital, as we would think about it. But it also talks about it as a summation of God's people. Think particularly of Isaiah, hero Jerusalem. There is a time and time again where Jerusalem just is that. This is the collective term for all of our people. And think about Jesus when he talks about Jerusalem. In the end of the book of John, he makes a joke there about Jerusalem, that is where the prophets go to die. And that should be running through our minds as well. Jerusalem, God's people. God's people that are so absolutely convinced that they know what God wants to the point where they don't even have to listen to him in order to do what they think his will is. We don't want to think of Jerusalem here as just the Jewish people. This is the short form for all of us. This is the church. This is the believers, us as well, that are collected in this. And what do we see here? All too often, we do terrible things in the name of God, and it is shown that that is anything but that. But somehow, here in the end, it will be made right. Somehow, here in the end, even though we might have trouble seeing how that can possibly be the case from time to time, the bride will come dressed in white, the color of purity. Somehow, no matter how bad things get, through the works of reconciliation that have to happen, through all of the work of putting things right and making up for the sins of our past, somehow that will be done. And we can look forward to that at the end of all things. And the throne will be there, and God will sit on his throne. Look, the home of God is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will remove all of their sorrows, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain, for the old world and its evils are gone forever. This is the God who even destroyed chaos itself. This is the God who straight from the story of creation on has been reaching out to his people on every page of our Bible. This is the God that came himself, born as a human in Jesus Christ, 
to show us that there is a way. This is the God who died for us so that our sins no longer have to be what dominates us and leads us and grinds us into the ground. This is the God that will sit on his throne in the end. How can there be sorrow if Christ is on his throne? How can there be crying or pain when Christ is on his throne? This is what will come. This is what will come. The word of the Lord. The question that we were looking at today, Revelation, what's going on there? And I said that that is going to be a really interesting one because this is a dense book and it is a book that has two traditions of focusing on it. One very helpful, the other a lot less so. And so that's what we're going to talk about a little bit. And it's going to give you what you need to kind of understand what this book is doing a little bit better. The main way historically that this book has been understood is best if you keep in mind who it was written for in the first place. It does a good job of putting things into perspective. The early church was one that was very, very, very mindful of the fact that Jesus Christ will come again. Jesus himself talks about it a fair amount, about how one day he will return and the judgment of the living and the dead will happen. Matthew 24, verse 36 is one of the best passages on that. You've heard it before, that is the passage where it says that only God the Father knows the exact hour of my return. We're going to keep that one in mind. But that continues on throughout the entirety of the early church. You need to understand that that understanding that God is going to come back, that Jesus is going to come back any day now, is key to understanding the teachings of Paul. Paul is a super pragmatic person who believes that Jesus is going to come back any time now. And because of that, all of the things of the world, what do they matter? Now is the time to get out there and spread the gospel. Now is the time to get out there and build the kingdom of heaven. Now is the time to get out there and share the good news because Jesus Christ is going to come back any moment. Even later on in his ministry where he begins to realize it might be a bit before Jesus actually comes back, this is still the underpinning. This is still the reason why he spends time talking about how the church should best function because we need to get that message out to the corners of the earth because any day now, Jesus will come back. And that is what we need to keep in mind when we get to the book of Revelation. Because the book of Revelation is easily the last book of the Bible that is written. It happens during the reign of a very different emperor than Paul lives under. The reign of the emperor Nero is as best as we can understand. And I'm betting that even if you haven't heard that name before, you've heard some of the things that happened under the reign of the emperor Nero. One of the biggest is, is that a solid chunk of the city of Rome burned down. And there was a rumor that went around after Rome burned down that 
It was Nero himself that set that fire because he wanted to build a palace. And I'm betting that that rumor is one that made it far and wide because here we are over 2,000 years later and we know it. That's usually a sign that a rumor really got away from you. And that, if you are a dictator, is not something that you want going around, especially not if you want to keep your head on your shoulders. And so Nero needed himself a scapegoat, and he had one in the form of the Christians. Because the early Christians, right after Jesus Christ, were a people that the Romans were in every way almost the opposite of. Christians cared about peace. Rome was about as militarily minded as it gets. Christians cared about how everyone was equal under God, slave and free alike. And the Romans were about as stratified as it gets. Your empire and your emperor can burn down Rome to build a palace if he wants. But at the same time, there's also slaves that they are throwing their lives away in the nickel mines just because. And worst of all, Christians worship the one true God. Romans had, I believe, a couple thousand of them, if not more than that. In every way, the Christians are the perfect scapegoat for the Romans. And so, who are you going to blame it on? Well, you're going to blame it on them. And that would kick off one of the worst persecutions that the church has ever known. Now, think about the book of Revelation. There's a lot going on in it, but if we were going to Coles nose the thing, that's a reference most people probably don't get. If we were going to summarize the thing, you would summarize it by saying, this is a book where things begin to get bad. The church is still there. Each of them are dealing with their own sins and they're struggling with them very much so. People are leaving, and it, it's, it's a problem. But at the same time, the church is still there. And then things kind of get really out of hand, and all of the enemies of God rise up, and they grow in power, and they persecute the church, and it is terrible, to the point where they finally do war with God. And that goes about as well as you would think. God wins it handily, and then we come to the final judgment and the enemies of God, those that will actively try to, they find their end. And then our passage. The old passes away, the new heaven and the new earth. And now it is like it was in creation, but even better so, because in creation, the new heaven and and in creation, heaven and earth are very separate things, but here they are one and the same, and that will be the end. Now imagine that you are one of those Christians that is going through that level of persecution, where it feels like your neighbors are turning on you at every step, because there was plenty of people in those churches that, to save themselves, they would turn, they would point out to the authorities, these are Christians, they are yeah. It feels like at every moment the forces of Rome are closing in on you to kill you, and then, and then you read this. How does this read then? How the book of Revelation reads then is an encouragement 
It's an encouragement to keep, keep on. It's an encouragement that is telling you that even though people are dying because of your beliefs, even because people, everyone around you, it's worthwhile. It means something. It is worth doing, building the kingdom, sharing the gospel, feeding the poor. It's worth doing because in the end, our God will be victorious. In the end, nothing will stand against him. In the end, he will sit on his throne. So though you might be persecuted now, keep on. Because the bride in white will meet her husband and he will sit on the throne forever. The book of Revelation was written to be a comfort. The book of Revelation is written to be that keep on doing because what you are doing matters. The book of Revelation is meant to tell our ancestors in the church that what they are doing is exactly the thing that needs to be done. And the fact that they are being persecuted shows that. The fact that they are being persecuted for helping the poor, the fact that they are being persecuted for sharing the good news, the fact that they are being persecuted for doing what is right, it shows this book shows that that is the thing that is needed above all. And in the end, when our God is on his throne, it will be shown to be the case. It is a book of hope. That's the main way that this book has been understood, and it's how it would have been understood in its earliest days. There's a lot of symbolism in this book. There's a lot of imagery. And even straight from the beginning, those images have very much so been used to look at the signs around us and be like, well, clearly Jesus is going to come back at any time now. Look, the signs are right here. And we know that because, especially in its early days, it was rather explicit about that. Uh, one such example is, if you've ever wondered what 666 is, the mark of the beast, uh, Hebrew does a thing, just like Latin does, where in Latin it uses numeral, like Roman numerals, right? I, X, those are also letters in Latin. Hebrew does that too, where it uses letters as numerals, and if you were to spell out 666 in Hebrew, it actually spells out Nero. The signs that are in the book of Revelation about how God is going to come any time now would have been very explicit for the people of that time. And as the church has gone on over the centuries, we have kind of focused on that an awful lot. It has almost turned the book of Revelation during particular periods, and I'd argue over the last 50 years we're one of them, where the book of Revelation is a lot less about this hope for what will be, a lot less about how it's worthwhile and how there's meaning in what we do as the church because ultimately God will reign, and a lot more of a bit of a manual for the end times. 
You've probably heard things like that before. Like, I remember growing up, the locusts from the pit, obviously that is referring to Apache attack helicopters or something like that. Or about how that mark, 666, obviously that's referring to the microchips that Bill Gates put into the COVID vaccine. I actually heard that one. Here's the thing about focusing on this book in that way. I can't say that it is a wrong thing to do completely, because straight from the beginning, that is one of the ways that this book has been read, as we saw from 666 and Nero, and there's a number of other things where it's, these are clearly the signs of the time. But here's the thing. For the last 2,000 years, the church has often read this book in that way, focusing on these images, focusing on the symbolism, and saying, look, this clearly is that. Clearly, the beast is this thing that is going on around us. For 2,000 years, this book has been read in that way. And what I can say is that for 2,000 years, every time somebody has done that, they have been wrong. And so when we look at it today, while when we see something about the bear coming from the east, that could mean Russia or who knows, could that be true? Maybe. But at the same time, we have to remember that verse, Matthew 24, verses 36. Only God knows when he will return. Only God knows the hour. And something happens when we read this book in that way, focusing on clearly this is the sign of this and this is the sign of that, is we tend to get so involved in that that we lose what this book is about in the first place. We tend to get so involved in trying to see the signs of the time that we miss that the whole purpose of this book in the first place is to reassure us and to tell us that the work that we are doing, building the kingdom and spreading the gospel, matters. It matters because in the end, God will sit on his throne. We tend to get so involved in trying to draw parallels in imagery to what is going on around us that, and I'm pretty sure we all know people where this has happened or are those people ourselves, where we forget to be the church. We forget to care for our neighbors. We forget to build the kingdom. We forget to spread the good news of the gospel because we are too obsessed with thinking about how it's all going to end anyway. But the new heaven and the new earth are the old clothed immortal, are they not? The bride will come dressed in white, but it is the same bride, is it not? We are not called to sit down and just mill about until the end of all things. 
We are called to be disciples of Christ and make disciples of Christ. We are called with everything that we are to spread the good news. We are called with everything we are to build the kingdom, to feed the poor, to comfort those who mourn the rest of the Beatitudes as well. Are the images that are in the book of Revelation, things that are going on around us today, we can only pray that they are because it means that our Lord will return soon. But that is not the point of this book. The point of this book is this and this alone. In the end, God wins. In the end, because God wins, the work that we have to do, building his kingdom, sharing the good news, caring for those that are down and trodden on and lifting them up, in the end, that is all worthwhile because God will sit on his throne forever. So remember that when you go out for the rest of the week, month, year, to build the kingdom of our Lord. It matters. Find comfort in that. Persevere because of that. Finish the race because of that. Amen. I'd like to call up the deacons for today is communion. In the book of 1 Corinthians, we read, For this is what the Lord himself said, and I pass it on to you just as I received it, that on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said that this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and you, sealed by the shedding of my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. McGregor EMC, we believe that communion is open to all believers. But if you have kids with you, parents, I would say, make that call for yourself. Throughout the entire history of the church, the believers that have followed God, including those who suffered under Nero, they did the same thing. As we have communion now, we are in a very real way connected through the unbroken line straight through to Jesus Christ himself. And so as we join together in communion, think of that. Put yourself before our Lord and also remember that the line will go on after us as well. Please join me in prayer as the elements are handed out.
together we eat. And together we drink. And now I'd ask that you join me in saying the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Invite you to stand as we sing together, How Great Thou Art. Today our benediction comes from the book of Philippians. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Go now and serve our wonderful God. When Christ shall come.